Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the channel. It's Denise Salcedo, and I'm very excited to introduce to you my guest for today. We have none other than Mason D. Madden. What's up, Mason? What's going on? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I got to tell you, when uh, I we got connected with one another, I was like, hell yeah. I wasn't expecting you to be like, yeah, let's do an interview. So I was very happy when you said yes. I'm very personable, I've been told. <laughs> That's a good thing. It's a good thing. I will say this. I also admire your email etiquette because you were so quick to respond and nobody ever responds quickly. So I was so thankful for that. You know, I, I'm just, I've been keeping really good track of my new email account. So <laughs> as soon as I saw yours, I got right back. I, I, if, it, if it piles up too much, then I get overwhelmed and then I don't know what I'm doing. So I have to stay on top of everything. I feel you. I need to have like zero on my inbox. If not, I'm just like, this is too much. I need to start answering things. Like I cannot see like seven or 14 or no like weird number of unread messages. <laughs> my my other email is like a bajillion unread messages. So I'm trying to keep this one very neat. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Mason, let's go ahead and dive right in because there's so many different things that I can't wait to ask you about. And I want to start off with asking you, you know, uh, about your time now that in the last couple of months, you know, you've been done with WWE, you're going off, you're doing a bunch of different new stuff. You're obviously streaming all the time. You're also working independent, you know, kind of getting back on board and doing your thing. Uh, what have the last several months looked like for you? It's been uh, extremely busy. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we were talking yesterday, we actually just had a stream last night, and we were talking about how different things feel when it's all on you. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a matter of, hey, if, uh, if stuff doesn't work, it's actually my fault. So <laughs> it's, very, it's very easy for me to you know, dive fully into making things work and trying to stay on top of everything. And, make everything as good as possible going forward. And this is all the past three months have really just been setting up for, I guess, next year. Um, and I think we've done a good job doing it so far. And I'm excited for what's to come. I feel like that's the truth, though, when it comes down to it, once you're, uh, you know, freelancing, you're out there, it really is up to you and what you make of it. And it, it, it's, this, it's a good feeling, don't you think? Or how do you how have you felt that like, is it a good feeling for you? It is a great, it's a great feeling because honestly, and no shade at WWE or anything like that. I'm very appreciative of my time there, but in the time that I was there, um, nothing that I did was my idea. Um, for the most part, you know, I, retribution was not my idea, believe it or not. Uh, I did not immediately have the idea of becoming a male model, but, um, you know, I was able to dive into those things and make those things as fun as I could make them for myself. But um, in terms of just actually presenting, what am I? What am I on my own? What am I as a professional wrestler? I haven't been able to do that yet in my career. So crafting that image has been really fun for me. Yeah, I can only imagine what that must be like, because like you mentioned, those other things, retribution, maximum male models, that wasn't exactly your idea. And so before we get to those two topics there, I do want to ask, though, because when you were, you know, when it came down to the end with WWE, what was your reaction to that? Uh, when it when it came down to the end, it's, it's not like I was super surprised. Um, I had heard that, you know, releases were happening and um when my time came, I actually missed the call 
because I was going through um, a dead zone picking up my youngest daughter from school. There's like a bad cell phone tower area. And uh, when I pulled in at home, I had gotten the message from the guy who was doing the firings. And I was like, oh, there it is. And uh, I had already heard from Mansoor that he had gotten released. So um, I wasn't surprised. But uh, at the same time, every time something has ended for me, whether it be, you know, football or WWE, it's instantly become, all right, next step. How do we move forward? I got, you know, I got to keep this ship going. And um, so it became very exciting and fun and just diving right into it. It's been fun. I guess in a weird way, it kind of, it was kind of better that maybe you kind of expected it where you said like you weren't as shocked because I feel like that kind of lessens the blow a little bit. And we have seen, you know, several different mass releases coming in and out. So I think that might always be kind of in the back of your mind of like, what if, like, am I next type of thing? And when you're, when you're kind of in the system and you're not a made entity, you know, um, every time that time comes around, you're like, oh, six months has come up. Are they going to do a big release? Am I going to be on that? Um, and it's something that you're kind of always got in the back of your mind, which is, you know, a stress that isn't great. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a great feeling. Um, now I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you're like, that's it. That's that feeling of anxiety is like off my shoulders. Cause it's terrifying because you know, you're obviously on the media side of things, you see the names come out and you're just like, damn, but and it's a mess, you know, several names, but then you have to stop and think about each and every single individual and their stories and the things that they sacrificed and how, you know, everybody had the dream of making it in WWE. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not even just the individual, it's their family, it's their, you know, the people around them. Um, it affects a lot more than uh, you'd, you'd really think about when they just post a big list of names, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it can be the worst day of your life, or it could be the best day of your life. And I plan on making it one of the best days of mine. It's what to make of it. Exactly. So I do want to rewind and I want to start things off with a retribution because that was a, I can only imagine interesting time for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an interesting time for you. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, it, it's, you know, you come out there, you, you, your physique, by the way, is freaking phenomenal. So kudos oh, on that. Down. It's even better. <laughs> yeah. Until, until I come back, it's going to be even better. <laughs> But you got the master out there having you guys kind of be a little bit goofy. It, it probably wasn't the ideal thing for you, but uh, you know, break it down, man. How did how did this how did this all happen? Where did the pitch come about? What did you think of it, and how did you feel being part of Retribution? Uh, there was no pitch. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if you remember correctly, um, the the initial appearance of Retribution was a, a bunch of uh, extras. Because uh, there were a bunch of like really small guys at the time. That's why that's actually how I ended up being in it was there were a bunch of little uh, small guys that were extras. They had no idea who they wanted it to be from what I understand. And uh, I, I think they were trying to do an Antifa thing. I think that was the uh, the idea. But at the same time, um, you know, this is uh, it's a very big company. There's not really much room for controversy anymore. So at some point they were like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. But we already did this big angle and we need to kind of finish it <laughs> in some capacity. So um, I actually got added to it, kind of, uh, the next week. After the next week, the Twitter had made fun, or uh, 
X, formerly known as Twitter, made fun of all the uh, the little guys and the Antifa masks that were wreaking havoc on the place. And uh, I think Vince says, well, let's get some bigger guys. So um, there was a, a group of NXT performance center guys that were on the bigger side so that they had more intimidating masked men running amok. Um, I believe I speared Big E in that segment. And um, I kept my head down because I was like, hey, if I can, because uh, I wasn't doing anything in NXT. I was like, if I can stick in this and uh, somehow slip through into actually getting unmasked and be stuck in it, um, this will be the best moment of my life. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I kept, I kept doing it. I made sure I was always one of the extras that was in it. And uh, somehow when unmasking day came, I was one of the unmasked guys. And uh yeah, that's that's the funny thing as as goofy and as bad as it was it was the best opportunity i ever had so um i was very appreciative of it and um all the guys in it um die jack who's killing it in nxt now uh shane haste who's killing it all over the world right now uh mia uh who i will only call reckoning because that's what vince named her and um ali later on we all we all went into it and we wanted to make it work. And uh, sometimes that's an uphill battle. It can be difficult, but uh, we, we very much approached it as like, you know what? Nobody's gonna make this work but us. So let's try and make the most of it. So that was kind of our attitude. And, and, you know, you bring up a great point because, like, for you at that point, that was going to be a, something that can catapult you into something else, right? Like, you just have to be there. you got to get your TV time. you got to have something, right? And so at what point did you realize, hey, this is probably not going to work and they're probably going to cut this out, you know, at some point? Like, when did, when did you start to realize that? When it stopped being um, – so if you remember – retribution segments were really like we were finishing the show uh we had the really cool uh angle with the hurt business which uh did really well um everywhere we had a really cool segment with um with Wyndham and uh and alexa and there were like we had a lot of cool moments but as soon as those uh cool moments started drifting down and we were like uh they, they're not really feeling it i think they just want to kind of kill it <laughs> um I could tell that it was probably time to start thinking of something else. I, I think, um, yeah, we we broke up. The, they had uh, me and uh, T-Bar, Chokeslam Ali, and then there was no direction for a while. Um, but, you know, it was like a gradual descent of like, oh, yeah, we were in these highly featured segments. So, like, we're, we're in these kind of featured segments. But, um, yeah, Thunderdome was, Thunderdome was wild. The Thunderdome era. Oh my gosh, don't even want to go back to that. That was, I can't only imagine, like, what was that like for you guys? It was, uh, it was something else. Um, it was my first time wrestling on TV. Uh, I'd done, I had not wrestled on NXT TV at all um, in my entire developmental uh, upbringing. So for my first time on TV to be such like a alien version of what TV is where commercial breaks would happen and you could like go and get some water <laughs> like nobody's there and uh the bumps all hurt way less because there was not like the the only sound was the the air conditioning fans the <sighs> so it it really felt like wrestling in front of nobody <laughs> yeah yeah um 
It was it was def it was something else. I, I'd rather never do it again. <laughs> well, no, of course not. Because can you like I can't even imagine going out there to wrestle because it's like the thing is you want that reaction from the crowd, right? Like you want to see like, oh, am I doing a good job of the crowd cheers of the crowd booze? If the crowd has any sort of reaction and there it's like you're just seeing, you know, heads on a screen and some people look like they're chilling. <laughs> you, you know, like not everybody's going to be like, woo. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was something else. And honestly, like I almost wonder what the alternate future looks like where we could hear crowd reaction and like pivot accordingly because the Thunderdome era was very much like um, it was, that's when they realized that they could press a button and then people would cheer and people would boo. That's kind of, that's kind of the point where they were like, Oh yeah, we, we can actually be in charge of what the crowd uh, likes and dislikes. So I almost wonder if not that, not that retribution was this massive fumble that it could have been. No, I take it back. It could have been great, but I wonder if um, if we had a, a reaction of of a crowd and see what organically hit with them, what organically missed with them, um, if we could if we could have pivoted to like, oh, these are Power Rangers villains, or if we could have pivoted to something darker, or just um, it, the the direction was all very much left up to um, the people in charge at the time. Where in when you have a an audience you're you're more beholden to them so i don't know who knows do you know what vince mcmahon thought of retribution i assume he didn't love it <laughs> <laughs> I, I okay here's my uh here's me reading tea leaves like some sort of wizard uh or mystic if i had to guess vince has these ideas for things and he doesn't necessarily always um, know where it's going to go. And he doesn't necessarily always know how they're going to get there. Um, and that's part of the genius of, you know, what he's been able to create over the course of forever. But um, especially in these later years, it was kind of just like, I want to do that Antifa thing. And they were like, okay, well, what does that lead to? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so when it kind of ended up looking like we couldn't go anywhere with it, he just lost interest. So I don't, I don't think he hated it. I just think he just, um, you know, if he loved it, then we'd still be doing it. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. So like that, that's the thing that I'm curious about too, is because now we got triple H doing creative, he's doing his thing. And Vince McMahon is, you know, not doing creative as of right now. So you still, you obviously you got a, a lot of years working under Vince McMahon. What was that experience like? And did you ever think the day would come where he wouldn't be running creative? I never thought it was possible. Every the past couple of years, every time I would talk to you know my coworkers, I'd be like, "Wow, we're actually living in like the strangest time in the history of pro wrestling," because what has it been for the past 30, 40 years? WWE has only been WWE under Vince McMahon, and for it to have even hinted that somebody else was making decisions was completely bizarre, completely unfounded. And the guys who had been here for 10, 15 years, um, you know, the the locker room veterans at the time, you could just tell it was just, oh, this is so this is so different because, you know, we're beholden to different masters at this point. So, um, you know, it's and change is good. Um, change is great. But it was 
definitely something different, definitely something to get used to. And everybody was trying to figure it out at the same time. Um, okay. Here's my favorite one. Uh, before I was even wrestling for him, it was when, um, when I ended up on commentary, I'm in a production meeting and it's my first production meeting ever. And, uh, and, and because it's my first production meeting, I want to make a good impression. Um, you know, if you're in, if you're in college, right. Or if you're in school, you want to sit in that front tee, uh, in the rows looking into, looking towards the teacher. So I sat myself in the back, but in the middle, very strategically, I didn't want to take anybody's seats, but I wanted to be seen and noticed taking notes in my little notebook. And I'm sitting there with my little notebook and, uh, everybody kind of just gets quiet because we're all waiting for Vince to come from lunch. And, um, he comes in and I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm like, do we rise? Like, a, like a judge is entering the courtroom or something. I'm like, nobody told me. Uh, he walks in silent, steps in, takes a couple steps. I look at him and I acknowledge him. And then I turn back to my notebook to get ready for the meeting. And then I just feel like a, and he clubbed me in the back. Right. <laughs> and then he takes two steps forward and he turns around and he goes, he looks like, if you've ever seen uh, Jim Carrey's Grinch movie, he turns around and looks at me like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what do I do? Like, because I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, was I in the way? Did I do something wrong? Was I? He's just like a he's like a, a strange goblin man, <laughs> like a strange trickster. Um, uh, and, and my biggest regret was that in that moment, I was like, man. If I would have taken a calculated risk and double legged him and just started beating him up, I wonder <laughs> if he would have like made me beat Brock Lesnar instead of getting put through the table. In the same meeting, he sits down and he's eating uh, a very expensive steak, blood red, uh, rare, with ketchup. He's eating it. It's very quiet. We're all watching him eat this steak, and he sneezes and he goes, and he goes. Damn it, man! Control yourself. And I was, we're all sitting there, and we're like, "What? It, what's going on?" <laughs> There's nothing that can prepare you for working in that environment. It is cartoon clown world, and uh, we're all living in it. But it's it's fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Mason, I like visualized that entire thing because I had always heard that Vince McMahon doesn't like when people sneeze. Doesn't like when people sneeze. But when he sneezed himself, he hated it. <laughs> he was furious at himself. Oh my god! I myself, I'm like, control your like sneezing. You can't stop yourself from sneezing. Does he think that sneezing is a sign of weakness? I'm dying. I, I like. I had always heard like you know the the. It's like a myth, right? You never really know if it's true unless you've seen it yourself. I've never seen it myself, so kind of getting this firsthand uh, account from you is like mind blowing, right? Like it's freaking crazy to even think that. Don't sneeze or yawn, or don't <laughs> and don't be seen. I was always very paranoid because you know there's cameras everywhere. We're at freaking TV. Um, I was always very nervous to be like in the bowl when everybody's going over their matches and to be anywhere in the ring because there's eyes in the sky looking down upon you and you know travel can be long sometimes you had a long week of house shows and then you fly in there's delays you get in late i'm sitting in the bowl and you know sometimes you just want to 
you never know when Kevin Dunn's going to point the camera at you <laughs> and then Vince is going to be in somebody's ear and he's like, don't ever let him see you yawn again. Oh my God. So like you're, if you ever have to yawn, you're doing this thing where like you're doing like a face twitch kind of to hold it in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the worst. Oh my God. Um, that's too funny though, because it's like, it's a, it's a mind trip, honestly, to hear about that. Uh, I can't even believe it. So when, by the way, when he clobbed you over the, I don't know, the back, was he just doing it? Cause you were near that day just to mess around. So I think he was just messing around. He, he's so he's surprisingly like a, a funny guy. Like he's surprisingly, he likes, uh, he likes to joke on people. He likes to rib people. He likes to get a rise out of people for things. So you never know. It's like this weird area where you don't know what's like he's doing for a laugh and what he's doing is like a, as a test or like a power move. <laughs> so um, you're always trying to just try and figure out exactly what's going through his mind. Cause that's the only mind that it mattered. Who's, who's uh, opi uh, his opinion of you. So um it was wild. It was definitely something. I want to touch on that a little bit too, because you did get to do some commentary. And when that role came about for you, like what were your thoughts in terms of taking it? And how did you feel, you know, the during the period that you did do get to did get to do commentary? Kind of in a similar vein, the the retribution thing where um and this this is just kind of the nature of how NXT was at the time. NXT was very much focused on the independent guys that were coming in and uh that's like that was kind of the nature of nxt black and gold at the time where the uh you know the 10-year vets that are now making their way into nxt and that style of wrestling um i missed i missed 2.0 by just a couple years 2.0 would have been my my prime <laughs> my prime time but, yes um, uh so i just i didn't really get very many opportunities to do anything in nxt um, and obviously I was in training and I do the, uh, the house shows and whatever, but, um, at some point I get a call from, uh, Vic who's, uh, who's doing NXT commentary now. And he was like, Hey, um, I can't tell you why, but, um, we want you to come into TV on Monday and we want you to do uh, commentary on 205 and, or main event. It was one of the two. Um, I was like, okay, I don't know why, but it's, a, it's not something that I planned on doing, but it's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's a job, it's a living. I got three kids. So, you know, if that's something that I could do to make a living, then so be it. Um, turns out, uh, I was actually working with my friend who, uh, I've known for years, uh, John LaQuasto, the great comedian, check him out. Um, we were doing commentary because he was on the commentary team. So at the performance center, he didn't have anybody to just bounce off of. Um, we had a booth where you could watch matches and then record commentary over it. And he didn't have anybody to do it with. So me and Mansoor, ironically, would uh, go in there with him sometimes and we'd just be the color commentary guy. And it was a lot of fun. But um, somehow one of those tapes got to Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was becoming the lead I guess the showrunner for Raw at the time, and he wanted a full facelift. He wanted like a different stage, different commentary, different everything. And uh, he said, "We're gonna get a fresh face. We're gonna pull that guy out of NXT, and we're gonna put him on commentary." And over the course of a month, I had to learn how to do it. It is very hard. 
I have so much respect for everybody, uh, Michael Cole, especially for somebody to do it for as long as he did. And for somebody to do it with Vince McMahon in his ear and telling him what to say. Um, but I, I think I, I learned how to do it over the course of that month. And I debuted as the lead color commentary commentator on raw, uh, for the season premiere at the end of the month. And I did that for about two months. Um, yeah, no, things, things come at you quick. And then it was over. I stood up to Brock Lesnar and, uh, Vince realized, uh, when they did that shot and they had this problem with me all the time, cause I'm, I'm six, eight, uh, they had this problem where the levels were all messed up for when they wanted to do like camera shots because I'm much taller than King Vic, weirdly tall, but, um, they were like, they had King up on like a box at some points and they like, they had to frame things just right to deal with the fact that I'm a, a big mutant. And uh, when I stood up to Brock and I'm looking down at Brock, <laughs> Vince was like, what is that guy doing on commentary? Right? <laughs> I came back. I never came back. I didn't come back to wrestling anytime soon either. But uh, yeah, that was it. That was it for me. He just knew that you didn't belong on commentary with your size. Yeah, why is he, why is this guy, this commentator, three times the size of most of our wrestlers. It's not, it's a, it's a weird look. It was hard for me because, um, I wasn't, I was a color commentary commentator. And, um, that role is usually like the JBL, the Booker T, uh, King. It's the guy who was a wrestler and then is now a commentator and can say, Oh, I've been in that hold before that hurts kind of thing. And to the general audience, I was not that. So it was a very difficult job to be like the guy who lends uh, credibility to moves and stuff and not be like a, a wrestler to the audience. So it was, it was interesting. How did you like it though? Like, do you, how, how much different do you think your life would have been had you been staying in that role for, you know, over a year, had you done that? It would have been completely different. Um, I liked it. I learned to like it. It was very hard. Like I said, um, it's so much more than just talking. Well, one talking for three hours is not an easy thing. Um, but, um, it's so much more than that. It's, it's getting ad reads. It's counting down things to commercial breaks. It's, uh, having three voices in your ear with three different people telling you what to say. Um, so it is a lot. Uh, but it, but after my first show, me and Vic go to the back and Michael Cole, he's clapping for us. And he's like, you guys are going to have this job for the next 20 years or as long as you want to do it. And I was like, wow, this is my life now. It was not my life yeah. <laughs> being my life. But, uh, I think we all end up where we're supposed to be. So it's, uh, it's okay. I, I appreciate, I appreciated the opportunity. It's now a different tool that I have in my belt. Um, how many wrestlers can go around and say that they've done commentary for Monday Night Raw. Not a lot. So um, yeah, no, it's, I'm thankful for the opportunity, but um, I'm, I'm glad to be bumping again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was just like the thing that's meant to be it was like this little pit stop. But you know what you found your so you found your groove back once again. So I do want to go ahead and dive into maximum male models because that was the last iteration that we got to see of you in the WWE. And this was so you know, out of left field, you and Mansoor going out there and doing like some of the most ridiculous things like modeling, you're doing the water, you're doing the eyes, you're voguing, you name it, you're doing it 
oh my God, what was your initial reaction when you found out that the next thing you were going to be doing on WWE television was portraying a male model? So um, I had been off TV for a couple of months. Uh, I had been working with creative and the creative department on a couple different character concepts. Uh, at one point they were like, oh, we're going to turn Mason to the executioner. And then they had like concept art made of me and like an executioner hood with like a big axe. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then they were like, yeah, that's too close to the other Mace. Uh, let's, um, let's make him like a, like a cyberpunk bounty hunter. And we're going to give him a motorcycle. And there was concept art of all that too. And this has been going on for, um, I think six months. And towards the end of that, uh, we, we looked like we were moving in this direction where I was going to do singles as this, uh, very colorful. I think there was like face paint. I had gear made of like, it was like bright blue and yellow. And, um, uh, it was, it seemed like it was going to happen. And I got a call from my writer on a Thursday. Hey, uh, we need you to fly into SmackDown for a dark match. And I was like, okay, cool. Are we running with this, um, with this mercenary or this uh, bounty hunter thing? And he's like, no, Vince, uh, had an idea. I was like, cool. What is it? He says, uh, you're going to be a male model. Uh, and you're going to do it with Mansoor. I was like, great. <laughs> and, uh, they had had no idea that me and Mansoor are, are best friends. We go on family cruises together. Uh, we told Vince, we were like, Hey Vince, you know, uh, like we actually get along, like we're good friends. And he was like, no, I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> get out. <laughs> but, um, no, it was, uh, it was, it was a wild ride. And what was funny is. Vince had an idea for it and we didn't, nobody will ever know what that idea for it was because, uh, we were doing house shows where we would just have, uh, fashion shows and we would just do a walk and then we'd go back and there would be no, there would be no comeuppance. There would be no, uh, we thought for sure it was like, oh yeah, surely Seamus and the brawling brutes will come and kick our asses and beat us around, beat us up. And then the crowd will be excited. It was very Lynchian. Freaking, uh, we do the walk, we pose, everybody's confused, and then we'd leave. And uh, that's when we had the long segments. We had like a full fashion show segment on, uh, I think it was SmackDown. Um, but uh, when, after two weeks of that, and that was two weeks of Vince having his hands in every aspect of it, he loved that idea. It was his baby. Uh, Vince stepped down. <laughs> And uh, I looked at Mansoor and I was like, wow, we got to be the most unlucky guys in the history of sports and entertainment that uh, the moment that we have Vince's full attention is the moment that for the first time ever in history, Vince McMahon is no longer in charge of WWE. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so we disappeared again for a little bit. And uh, that's, uh, that's actually how we ended up doing our YouTube show. So it's like you never really knew what the end game goal was for the maximum male models. No, we had no idea. And uh, it clearly wasn't where we went because when he came back in some capacity, it, it wasn't like anything that he was super interested in anymore. So um, we'll never know. <laughs> That's going to be the grand mystery for the rest of ever. What was supposed to happen with the maximum male models? And so when you're... Yeah, yeah. There's so many in my career. There's so many like uh, what ifs, alternate universes. <laughs> what if this didn't happen?
You're like, what if Retribution was presented differently? What if I would have stayed on commentary? What if we had an endgame for Maximum Male Models? <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> no. Um, so here's the thing. Like when you're going out there and you were doing all the things that you were doing, how did you feel when you were actually doing the the eyes and the poses and the water? And how did you feel when you saw yourself afterwards? So um, little known fact, or maybe a little bit known fact. Uh, my mom was actually a professional model. She uh, modeled for magazines. She did runway shows for uh, Ebony uh, magazine. And uh, that's actually how she met my dad. So she was a runway model. And that was the first time in my entire life. Like I, I played football. My dad was a football player. My dad was very hands-on with, no, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. When I became a male model, all of a sudden my mom activated. And she's like, no, that's not how you walk. No, that's not how you turn. You need to, it's like, we got everything. So weirdly enough modeling kind of natural for me <laughs> but i was gonna say you guys didn't do bad in terms of like the visuals of it all i was looking at that and i was going like he's got that smoldering eye what is going on here he nailed that yeah no um and you know the more the, i think the biggest thing with any quote unquote bad gimmick i don't think there is any bad gimmick um if but if you're handed something that is an uphill battle to try and make work. If you dive into it with all of yourself, all of your soul, and you determine is like, listen, I don't care what this is. I'm going to have fun with it for this, uh, for maximum male models. It was like, listen, I get to travel around the world with my best friend and we get to do silly things and have fun matches. We're going to enjoy this and we're going to make this work. If you go in with that approach, the audience will see the friggin' the joy in your heart as you're having fun. And something about that will connect with their lizard brains and it'll work in some capacity. And um, that was our approach. That was always our approach was just like, hey, could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> could be with somebody that we hate, could be, uh, you know, could be not on TV, could be any number of things. So, um, that was all very much like retribution. Um, it was very much like a, let's make it work. It's, it's only us, only us can make it work. So let's do it. So, you know, you're doing, you're doing all of this stuff with maximum male models, but you're also out there, not just with Mansoor, but you were also there with Maxine Dupree and uh, Max Dupree, who would then go on to be LA Knight. Yeah, don't forget about Max. Yeah. What was that experience like getting to work with him and thus, you know, getting to see him really grow into what he's become? It's very funny because um, when we found out about the Maximum Male Models thing, uh, they, they told us, it was like, we're going to have uh, L.A. Knight as your manager. Was like, L.A. Knight is our man. Like, surely you mean Robert Stone. Like, Robert Stone <laughs> would have been a perfect Max Dupree. <laughs> Um, but they were like, no, we're going to, we're going to do LA Knight as Vince wants LA Knight to be Max Dupree. He's going to be the proprietor of Maximum Mel Models. And I was like, well, he's, he's, he's great at talking. So this should, this should work. I guess it's not, it's not what he's known for, but, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was something else. And, you know, to his credit, he, he also dove all the way in with us. He was on, he was out there on the front line on the battlefield of fashion, um, but it's just, f for whatever reason, it seemed like, uh, 
Vince had it out for him specifically uh, in that, I don't know, maybe, maybe he expected something else when he, when he said, I want him to be, maybe he did think he was getting Robert Stone. Like it just felt like he, he wanted, uh, I, I call him Max. Vince named him Max. I'm gonna call him Max. Uh, he wanted Max to be something that he wasn't. And when he wasn't that thing that he was not, uh, it, it was something that upset him. So that's how we ended up with Maxine because he just got replaced. But um, it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For sure. For him. Oh my God. Though. That's just so, it's just so wild because you start to like, I'm curious, like I want to get inside Vince's brain and try to figure out what he saw in specifically in LA night to put him in that particular role. I think that within itself is freaking crazy. So, you know, we're talking about uh, all of these different types of pitches. What pitches did you ever make to them that you were kind of hoping maybe got done? Did you ever give any of your own pitches? Oh yeah. I made a bajillion pitches. I was there for seven years. Um, I never did anything. So uh, all I did, all I did was uh, work out and pitch and train. So um, I'm, I've, I've been a wrestling fan my entire life. I've always had ideas for things that I thought would be cool in wrestling. Um, so it was, it was almost like a, it was like a fool's errand where I would hear stories. For example, uh, uh, Nikki Cross, the Nikki A.S.H. character happened because Nikki waited for Vince for an entire show, waited until after he was done with whatever he was doing after the show. She handed him a folder and said, hey, this is the concept of a character that I'm interested in uh, playing. Let me know if you like it. And he took it. And she didn't hear from him for six months. And then six months later, she, uh, Vince says, or somebody, a writer tells her, Vince loved your pitch. You're going to do it next week. Do you have gear? So in the back of my head, I was like, there's always a chance that if you throw stuff into the abyss, maybe one day it'll get spit back at you so um yeah i had all kinds of ideas for i like um man i couldn't even i couldn't even tell you um we were talking yesterday on the stream about an idea that i had for like a trophy collector kind of like uh somebody who who beats people and then takes a piece of them and like adds it to their, <laughs> their belt as a trophy um because people always said i look like a predator from the predator movies so. <laughs> I've always, you know, wanted to do uh, like anime inspired stuff. That's something that I never really saw in pro wrestling. Just trying to a, a million pitches to be different people's heater, you know, um, but uh, none of them really came about. So I guess that's why I'm really excited to be able to do whatever I want now. It's, it's, I'm almost crippled by options. Yeah, and that's the good thing, right? Like having those types of options. So uh, before we get to those options, do you, I know it's so soon to probably ask, but do you think you would ever want to go back to WWE, uh, especially now that things uh, are so different or at least they seem different? Absolutely. I'd, I'd never say never to anything. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be able to show what I can do on my own um, and kind of just show this is, this is what I am. But, uh, you know, if any opportunity presents itself, I'm always open to that. Have you had any conversations with AEW or Impact Wrestling? Well, uh, as we are talking, it is not yet December 21st, which is the end of my non-compete. So I cannot discuss 
any uh, conversations that I have not had over the course of my <laughs> 90 day period of non-competing. December 21st. All righty. Well, we're only we're actually a couple days away now. Hey, we're very close. I've got some I've got some cool stuff planned. Hell yeah. All righty. That's freaking awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, what you end up doing. And before we get into our next part of the interview, of course, I have to ask you, you know, uh, getting into like pro wrestling um, for you 2024, like what are the goals? What are the things that you want to make sure you accomplish? What are the hopes, the resolutions, you name them? I want to wrestle. Uh, that's something I didn't get to do a whole lot in WWE. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to maybe doing that. Uh, I'm immediately, uh, I, I can talk about some of the dates that I have actually planned, um, for non-televised companies, but I, I've got a, uh, I've got my first match back at new Texas pro. Um, uh, I'm going back to Texas, which is actually where I started my wrestling career. And, um, uh, I, it's just, it's very exciting to like, be like, oh yeah. I can have a 15 minute match. <laughs> I can, I can wrestle for 15 minutes. I can do the thing that I've always wanted to do. So, um, that's the biggest thing. I just want to wrestle. I just want to be a wrestler, you know, it's that simple. It's that simple. I'm not, I'm not, a. I don't ask for much in this world. I just, uh, want to be a, a pro wrestler. <laughs> that's all. And obviously, you know, your bestie, your buddy, who I'm going to have here in a couple of weeks, too, on the show, uh, Mansoor, he's going to be doing GCW. I think that would be pretty cool to see you there as well. Well, we you are going to see me on GCW the literal next night because he's he uh, he jumped the shark and did it before me. But, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're both doing Effie's Big Gay Brunch the next day. In Tampa. Hell yeah. So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a blast with that. We might we might have to go to a dark place, a place that we uh, haven't been to in a long time to compete in that kind of environment. So uh, we'll see what happens. Oh my gosh, I can't wait! And I love Effie. I think you guys are gonna have a freaking blast, man! A freaking blast. Um, okay, so I want to go ahead and get into uh, this like lightning round game, where I'm basically gonna ask you ten random questions, and you answer them however you please. This is just kind of an extra way to get to know you a little bit. So here we go. Um, question number one: What was your favorite WWE career moment? My favorite WWE career moment was uh, pouring water all over myself at SummerSlam. <laughs> Let's go. You were hydrated. That's the good thing. You know, and water sales were off the charts. I think so many people were hydrated after that. Um, <laughs> big moment for the world, honestly. Question number two. Who was your favorite person to travel with and why? Uh, well, I always traveled with Mansoor, even when we weren't together. Um, we stayed in the same room. He, I, I am his road wife. Uh, but I also had a lot of fun, uh, in, in retribution days, uh, I was Dijak's road wife. So, um, I, I think I'm the better roommate out of both of them. Both of them have their own disgusting habits, uh, that I won't, that's not my place to say, but, um, I did enjoy traveling with them and, uh, shout out to my, my friends, uh, Scarlett and Karrion Cross, who we we do dinner after every show. Oh, that's so nice. I love that. Was that like a tradition or was it just sporadically? Oh, so, somehow we just ended up that was the group. <laughs> we were we were all in the same show and we just ended we gravitated to each other. I don't know. It's it, if you, if you would have seen us out, you would have never expected to see the the male models and uh, Cross and Scarlett. That, that was a that was a unit. 
I love that though. I always hear of that, like an odd couple friends where I'm like, oh, you guys traveled together. Oh, you guys hung out together. Oh, that's not what I expected. That's pretty cool though. I like that. Yeah. Question number three, what was it like to get F5 through the commentary table by Brock Lesnar? Surprisingly gentle. Oh. Uh, Brock, Brock was a gentleman. Uh, when I find out, found out it was happening, Brock came whenever he came. It's probably a little bit before the show. And he says, so uh, here we're doing business. I was like, yeah, um, what, anything you want from me? And he was like, well, uh, I'm going to give you an F5. That's a, uh, that's a fireman's carry. And uh, basically, I just lift you over my head and I drop you on your stomach for like a belly bump. And I was like, yes, Brock, I know what a, an F5 is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when he did it, one, I don't know why. Maybe he just saw me and he's like, that's a big guy. I should I should give him a, a club to the back first to protect his size. <laughs> so if you watch it back, he like grabs me and then he clubs me. He's like, he's like, sell. And I'm like, okay, I'm selling everything. I'm a commentator. Um, but it, it's easy. Not not a problem. I never imagined that Brock Lesnar would be explaining to anybody what an F5 is because like literally everyone knows what an F5 is. So the fact that he felt he needed to explain that is kind of funny within itself. When I, when I, when I, when he told me, I was like, Brock, listen, um, I became a wrestling fan because when I was a boy, when I was a youth for my PlayStation two, I got the game. Here comes the pain with you on the cover. I know what the F5 is. <laughs> That's great, man. Uh, question number four. Who are some of the guys you wish you would have gotten a chance to wrestle in WWE? I'm trying to think of who I didn't. I, so there's so many people that, you know, I, I, you, you can't, I can't name any of my great televised matches, but I've had a lot of awesome matches uh, at house shows with uh, a lot of awesome people. Um, I don't know. It's Like I said, I just want to wrestle and I just want to wrestle everybody. So I just want to wrestle everybody who I haven't wrestled yet because I just I want to I want to do it. <laughs> I want to be wrestler, you know, that's going to be the theme of 2024. I just want to wrestle. I just want to wrestle. Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> Question number five, uh, which wrestlers are in your Mount Rushmore? Uh, OK. Okay, let's see. What are we what are we Mount Rush? I can answer this however I want. I could do. Yeah, it's up to you. Wrestlers. I could do my top wrestlers of fashion. I could do, uh, if I did my top wrestlers of fashion, what do I get, four? Yes, I want your fashion and I want your uh, like all around greatest, like all encompassing everything, both. Okay, uh, my fashion wrestlers, uh, number one, you gotta give to the drip god, uh, the, the most fashionable man active, uh, Seth Rollins. Uh, after that, uh, you're looking at uh, maybe a Rico. Yes. Uh, yeah, Rico's very fashionable. Um, after that, maybe, um, let's see, this is a, a tag team, a, a tag team induction. So it's one spot. Uh, got to give it to Billy and Chuck, another pair of platonic life partners. And, uh, after that, Ric Flair. Perfect. Now all around Mount Rushmore. All around, uh, I guess my favorite wrestlers, uh, growing up, uh, I love I, I wanted to be, uh, when I got the opportunity to be Mace, I was like, this is my chance to become the Black Cane. When I was making my creator wrestler in Here Comes the Pain, it was a Black Cane. <laughs> so uh, I, I put Cane up there. 
Um, the first thing I did when I started wrestling, the first thing out of football when I started wrestling with Booker T's reality wrestling was I, I painted my face like a Kabuki warrior and I became the big black Great Muda because the Great Muda is also my favorite wrestler. <laughs> um, speaking of Booker T, I would also put Booker T up there as just a trailblazer <laughs> and a trendsetter for uh, black wrestlers. Um, I couldn't be uh, the black Booker T, unfortunately. It was already taken. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I wanted to be him too. And uh, for a fourth, let's uh, go with uh, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero. I never, I, I never had anything that I wanted to do like Eddie because I could not. He was too great. I love that. Oh my God, that is a great list. That is a great list. Uh, question number six. Uh, what are your top three favorite anime? My top three, okay. Uh, the most obvious one is uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's my number one property of all time. I've seen, I could tell you anything about it. And this interview could have been completely about that show. And I could have <laughs> talked to you about it for four hours. Uh, after that, um, all right, let's think. So this is the, this is the most, these are the most dangerous questions. I can, I can talk about my favorite wrestler and not get a bunch of people that'll rain down hate upon me. So uh, I need to be careful as I look to my, uh, my shelf. You're uh, like the anime yeah. fans are going to get me. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't have the anime fans get me. So it has to be very strange. What's scarier having the anime fans come after you or the wrestling fans come after you? anime fans oh really see i don't know anything about that world so this everything you tell me is like brand new information brand new um okay uh right now um i love chainsaw man chainsaw man is excellent i it's actually one of the uh first uh manga that i've gotten like into and reading currently it's a very good show very excited for the next season um after that i've got this uh yu yu Hakusho shirt uh classic it was on toonami when i was a kid i used to watch it before going to football practice uh they just released the netflix show which was uh good uh, so i've heard but speaking of netflix shows uh gotta give one to goat piece one piece oh okay i've heard of one piece i don't know how but i've heard of one piece <laughs> it's just had a big netflix adaptation that did really well it's another excellent show Awesome. Question number seven. What's one thing you wish you knew how to do? It could be literally anything. Uh, let's see. What do I wish I knew how to do? I wish I could play an instrument. Any interest instrument or a specific one? So um, when, uh, when I was in high school, uh, if you actually look, you can. Let me see if I can grab it. Yeah, there we go. I wanted to learn the bass guitar and I actually got bass guitars because I was like, wow, it would be cool if I knew how to learn the bass guitar. And I never, um, it was just never something that came to me. So they ended up as decorations as my wall, <laughs> on my wall. Honestly, there's nothing stopping me. I can just learn how to do it. Everything that I've wanted to learn, I've kind of just learned how to do. Um, I, uh, for example, I wanted to learn how to draw. I just, taught myself how to do that. So uh, maybe the next thing is I'll teach myself how to play bass guitar. And you already have it there. So there's no excuses. <laughs> it's right there, yeah. <laughs> um, and this next question is uh, outside of wrestling. What's on your bucket list for 2024? 
outside of wrestling, um, my bucket list is to spend a whole lot of time with my family. Um, I get to not miss as much because I, uh, I get to choose when I travel. So um, I want to I wanna take my family to Japan. Yeah. Use wrestling to do it. That'll be good. A nice workcation. You know, a little bit of work, a little bit of pleasure, good time. Yeah. <laughs> Question number nine. What's one thing you miss most from WWE? Um, as unstable as I made it sound, um, obviously, there is a certain stability of, hey, this is this is where you work. You know, either somebody's going to call you and you're going to go to work this week or not, but you are working. <laughs> it's, uh, it is employment. Um, so I guess I'm going to miss the stability of employment, but also I'm going to relish in the ability to just do whatever I want. <laughs> yes, exactly. And last question, question number 10, do you have any secret talents? I kind of already spoiled it. I yeah. <laughs> I can draw. Um, <laughs> If you look at um, my t-shirt shop at fouryearwear.com slash MXM or Mace Madden, um, you can actually see most of the designs I did myself uh, for my stuff and our team stuff. Uh, I drew those. So that is my, my secret talent. I love that though. That's so cool. Alrighty. So there you have it. Uh, I want to thank you so much for doing this interview with me. It was so nice to kind of catch up with you and just be able to talk about, you know, everything. So before we go, like, please let the people know where they can, uh, you know, support you, where they can follow you, uh, you know, all of that. Uh, you can find me almost anywhere at Great Black Otaku. Uh, that's my branding. It's been my branding since college, I think. Um, but most specifically, you can find me on Twitch, where we do Twitch streams two to three times a week, probably less when we start working. Um, that's the, that's the biggest thing. And you can buy our t-shirts at fouryearwear.com. Perfect. I'm going to post the links to all of that in the description box below so you guys can go ahead and give Mason some love. And other than that, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you, everyone.